Little honey bees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Then you fold Put in the red pepper, the pimentos, and the cheddar cheese. Chicken running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop in black gang candy stripes. Look at them loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. Today, we are setting the table with foods that are often shared at the table on Easter Sunday. Our guests are Karen Zorio. She's the former owner of Something Savory Bakery, and she's going to share her perspective on the history and her recipe for hot cross buns. Mary Didi Constantine shares a recipe for pimento cheese from two cookbooks, one from Tupelo Honey and the other from Blackberry Farm Cookbook. And she'll also share a pound cake recipe from the Saltville Centennial Cookbook that dates back to 1888. Fred Salzman shares a custard pie recipe that was a favorite of World War I Tennessee war hero Alvin York. This pie was baked for him often by his wife, Gracie, and this recipe for the pie was shared with Fred by Alvin York's great-great-grandson. And I also have a very simple recipe for candied sweet potatoes, if that's something you might want to make this Easter. And um, that recipe comes by way of Fela Rawlings Hatch from her book, Country Cooking. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate your good company. Our first guest is Karen Sorio, and before her retirement for many years, she owned and operated Something Savory Bakery in Maryville, Tennessee. She now does personal projects for people when if they want a birthday cake or a special meal or something like that. And um, she's also a personal chef for a busy couple of doctors, and she and her husband Mike are really enjoying their grandchildren. I've known Karen since 2007. And we've always wanted to get together and record her story about hot cross buns. Well, what are hot cross buns for people who don't know? Okay, hot cross buns are a spicy little sweet bun. They're not a cinnamon roll, but they do have spices in them. And they're an Easter tradition. Started way back in the 12th century. Some monks used to make them and give them out to the poor on Easter week. 
What a treat it was, I bet. Yes, and it became a tradition over many years, you know, in England, mostly in the United Kingdom. Scotland, England, Wales, that's where it originated. But now it's become more popular around the world. They, look, they literally have a little cross on the top of them. They do. And, you know, the hot cross buns are, um, they represent the end of Lent. The Lent season ends. It's 40 days of Lent. And so that typically ends on Good Friday. And that's when a lot of people serve these. When I had the bake shop, that's when I would sell the most of them was on Good Friday. People would come in and buy them by the dozens. Oh, my goodness. Yes. What a fun time. All those people who give up bacon for Lent, then woohoo, they can eat bacon at <laughs> hot cross <buns>. Oh, yes. <laughs> Lent gets long, and that's the point of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it represents, too, when you go back and look at the religious history, you mentioned the church, you know, serves them. Um, that 40 days was a time um, when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he searched. And so that's that's why we celebrate Lent. And then these little rolls, um, the cross on the top represents the crucifixion of Jesus. And the spices that we use inside of those rolls represent the spices that they used to entomb him on his burial. I did not know that. Yes. What are the spices? Well, you can use a variety, but typically cinnamon, cardamom, and uh, peels of lemon and orange, the dried lemon peels and orange peels, give it that extra special little flavor. But you can add any type of spices that you prefer, but cardamom and cinnamon are the most popular. Are they hard to make? Well, they're a yeast bread. And if you've done any baking at all, you kind of know that yeast breads can be a little tricky at times. It's a time and temperature thing for yeast. And so, no, they're not hard to make because you don't have to proof your yeast. Yeah, I put everything in a mixer all at once okay. and just whip it up and let it rise. And then I cut it into 12 little sections and um, put it in a grease dish, glass dish, and let it rise another hour or so and then bake them off. Takes about 15 minutes to bake them. Well, for you, it might be easy. Oh, I think anyone could. I find it easier than some yeast breads. Yeah. I really do. It looks like there might be little raisins in them. Do I use currants. You do? Yes. You can put golden raisins. Uh, some people like little bits of dried fruit like apricot or cherry. You could use that very easily in these. Golden raisins and currants are popular. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Don't you know if you're poor and you've been just eating root vegetables and things in the middle yes. of the winter, what a treat this would be. Oh, yes. Mm -mm -mm. I think it was a treat for them. Yes. It is for me today. <laughs> I hope you enjoy these. These are for you. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you mind to run down a basic recipe for Oh, I'll them? be glad to. Thank you. Let's see if I can remember everything. I start out by putting three quarters of a cup of warm water. Get that water to around 110 degrees, not too hot. It'll kill your yeast, but just about 110 degrees. And then I add a quarter cup of sugar, three tablespoons of butter, two tablespoons of dried yeast, a half a teaspoon of salt, a teaspoon of cardamom, a teaspoon of ground cinnamon, and three cups of flour. And if you want to make these vegan, you can leave the dairy out. But I put a tablespoon of milk in mine. Milk t tends to make the dough soft. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then take an egg and beat that egg up and add it to the batter. And just turn your mixer on and let it mix up for, I let mine mix a good five minutes. You want to build that gluten up. It gives that roll a little bit of t good texture. 
And then after that, I take it out and um, cover it with a um, dry towel and let it rise somewhere in a warm spot for about an hour. And it'll double in size. And then I punch it down and I roll it out into a log and cut that log into 12 equal pieces and grease a glass 9 by 13 baking dish and put those rolls in there. They'll be touching each other. They'll be crowded. And then take an egg yolk with a teaspoon of water and whip that egg yolk up with a fork and take a pastry brush and brush the top of those rolls while they're still dough and before you let them rise. Now you're going to want those to sit somewhere quiet for about an hour and rise again. And when you look in that glass dish, they're going to be doubled in size. And that's when you pop them in a hot oven, 375 degrees, for 20 minutes. And now one of the tricks is to keep your dough from getting soggy, you'll want to take it out. As soon as it comes out of the oven, take it out of that glass dish, put it on a wire rack and let it cool. Let it get really cool for about an hour. And then you're going to take a half a cup of powdered sugar, a quarter teaspoon of vanilla extract, and one tablespoon of milk or heavy cream, whatever you got in the fridge, and whip it up in a dish. And then you want to put it in a little bag. You can take a Ziploc bag if you don't have a pastry bag. Cut the tip out of it and go ahead and put a little stripe across on top of each one and let them sit for a little while. But you want to make sure your rolls are cool so that your glaze doesn't go spreading around. But that little touch of icing gives them just a little bit of sweetness and puts the little cross on top, which is what we enjoy looking at. <laughs> so beautiful. Thank you. For people listening, I want y'all to know that she just said all that with no notes. This woman knows her business. <laughs> I've baked for a few years. <laughs> I learned to bake from my grandmother. My grandmother loved to cook and bake. Back in the oh, 19, late 30s and 40s, she um, ran a boarding house. Uh huh. She did, and she cooked. And then later on in life, um, her grandchildren came along. I was her firstborn grandchild. And grandmother was so patient, she always let me in the kitchen. She'd tie an apron on me, put a chair up to the counter, and let me help her with whatever she was making, whether it was rolling out biscuits or stirring mashed potatoes, whatever she needed me to do, I, I learned to help. I remember her teaching me how to use a paring knife <laughs> when I was little. <laughs> and after a few nicks and cuts here and there, I finally learned. But I, I think I, I must have developed that love of cooking at an early age from her. And it's still today, and I'm passing it on to my grandchildren. That's such a beautiful thing. What was her name? Minnie. Minnie Allen. She was a identical twin. Minnie and Winnie. Oh, <laughs> and you couldn't tell them apart. Where'd she live her life? Kentucky. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. What part? Uh, Williamsburg. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. What a lovely memory. Yes. What a good way to learn from a family member that loves you enough to, to teach you. It takes patience. I know that now as a grandmother. <laughs> when I tie an apron on my little five-year-old and six-year-old granddaughters and they want to help me roll out dough, it takes a lot of patience because I know at the end of this endeavor, I've got about an hour's worth of cleanup. <laughs> and I'm sure my dear grandmother did too. <laughs> Is that what they call paying for your raisins? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> can't thank you enough for just sparing time and making hot cross buns and sharing your story with us. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Yes. If people would want to get in touch with you, 
do you ever do a little cooking for people besides your family? I do. I really do. It, you know, if someone has had surgery or they've been sick or they have a need in their family and they need some meals for a little while, um, I do that. Um, if just if you need a birthday cake baked or just anything special, you could contact me at KarenZorio at gmail.com. That's my email, and that's probably the easiest way to reach me. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. We've just heard from Karen Zorio with her recipe and her perspective on the history of hot cross buns, a traditional treat for a lot of people on Easter weekend. On my website, I've put the recipe for this and a picture of her holding her hot cross buns and also a way for you to get in touch with Karen. That is at TennesseeFarmTable.com. Up next is Mary D.D. Constantine. She's going to share two recipes for pimento cheese. And now it's time for Mary D.D. Constantine. She's that basset hound-loving, grandbaby-chasing, happily retired former food writer for the Knoxville New Sentinel. When it comes to celery, I don't pussyfoot around. Other than using it to flavor my chicken soup or cornbread dressing, I'm not a fan of the stringy, slender vegetable. But my mother, bless her heart, is adamant that it have a presence on her holiday table, especially at Easter. Most of the time she serves it stuffed with pimento cheese, but occasionally she'll offer up a multi-platter with celery stuffed with cream cheese or pimento cheese or peanut butter. I've been known to run my finger down the rib of the offending veggie and scoop out the pimento cheese, which I absolutely love. I discard the leftover stalks, which just leaves my mom shaking her head and offering up a heavy sigh. In my opinion, the solution to this problem is simple. Just serve plain celery with a selection of dips, including pimento cheese. If you're a pimento cheese lover like I am, you might want to try the following recipes. One is from the Tupelo Honey Cafe cookbook, Spirited Recipes from Asheville's New South Kitchen. And the other is from the Blackberry Farm Cookbook, Four Seasons of Great Food and the Good Life. The ingredients needed for the Blackberry Farm pimento cheese are six tablespoons of mayo, two tablespoons of pickle juice, one and a half teaspoons of Dijon mustard, one teaspoon of hot sauce, they prefer Frank's red hot sauce, a teaspoon of minced garlic, a half a teaspoon of kosher salt, one teaspoon freshly ground pepper, one roasted red pepper skin seeded and chopped, a half of a cup of pimento pieces drained, and a pound of grated mild or medium sharp cheddar cheese. To prepare it, all you do is stir together the mayonnaise, the pickle juice, the mustard, hot sauce, garlic, salt, and pepper until it's nice and smooth. Then you fold in the red pepper, the pimentos, and the cheddar cheese. 
Chill for at least 30 minutes before you serve it, and it makes approximately four cups. Now, the Tupelo honey pimento cheese is a warm pimento cheese. Uh, to prepare that, you need eight ounces of cheddar cheese, shredded, a half of a cup of mayo, a tablespoon of Dijon mustard, a tablespoon of stone ground mustard, a teaspoon of mustard powder, a half a teaspoon of sea salt, a fourth of a teaspoon of freshly ground black pepper, two tablespoons of minced fresh parsley, one half cup finely diced roasted red bell peppers, and some tortilla chips for serving. To prepare it, you combine the cheese, the mayonnaise, the mustard, the stone ground mustard, the mustard powder, the salt, the pepper, the parsley, and the roasted bell peppers together in a microwavable dish. Then you place that in the microwave for about 20 seconds or until it's hot through. Or you can put it in a baking pan and in a preheated oven, cook it for about 15 minutes. Again, serve that with your favorite tortilla chips. This makes approximately two cups of pimento cheese. This is Mary Constantine for the Tennessee Farm Table, wishing you a wonderful, cheesy Easter holiday. And now, let's hear from Fred Sossman from Johnson City and that recipe and story about that egg custard pie Alvin York used to just love by way of the great-grandson of Alvin York. Today's recipe comes from the kitchen of one of Tennessee's most famous families. Egg custard pie was one of Sergeant Alvin C. York's favorite desserts, baked for him often by his wife, Gracie. Alvin C. York was one of World War I's most celebrated heroes, and he wore his military uniform when he and Gracie got married after the war on June 7, 1919. Despite the fact that Sergeant York only had nine months of formal education, he devoted much of his post-war energy to the Alvin C. York Agricultural Institute to educate children in his home county. Public donations helped him buy a farm about seven miles north of Jamestown, Tennessee, where he ran a grist mill. For her custard pie, Gracie York combined three farm-fresh eggs, slightly beaten, with a fourth to a half cup of sugar and a pinch of salt. Then she added a cup of milk and a teaspoon of vanilla and blended everything well. She poured that mixture into an unbaked pie shell and baked the pie at 375 degrees for about an hour. Alvin and Gracie usually ate their custard pie cold. So today we remember a World War I hero and his wife through a pie recipe I was given by the York's great-grandson. For the Tennessee Farm Table, I'm Fred Saussman. And Mary Dede Constantine has another little story recipe for you here, and this one involves a hard-working woman from around the years of 1888 from Saltville, Virginia, who specialized in pound cakes. 
Community and church cookbooks are a favorite of mine because no self-respecting cook would ever share a bad recipe knowing their name was going to be on it. Recently, I was introduced to the Saltville Centennial Cookbook. I was an Appalachian Food Summit working group, and artist and storyteller Amy C. Evans had on display some art that she had created, which was inspired by this book. As soon as I got home, I ordered a copy, and I will tell you, this is one of the best books I've ever read. In addition to interesting recipes, every page has a brief history and a photo of the person that created the recipe. Take, for instance, Homer Davenport. He lived on Red Rock Mountain. Little food grew on that mountain, but it seems parsnips were abundant. So he created a parsnip skillet dish that included wild game that he would harvest from his land. And then there's Gray Olinger Harris. Her tomato pudding recipe was absent any ingredient amounts. Instead, it's just something that the lady made by instinct and prepared on a wood stove in order to feed her family of six. But my absolute favorite story is that of Sarah Ann Gear McIntyre and her much-loved pound cake. Sarah's mother died while giving birth to her. Her father left for the Civil War and never returned. Sarah was raised by her grandmother and aunts. When Sarah married, it was to a widower who had four children. He died before Sarah gave birth to his fifth child. To support herself, she went to work at the Saltville Hotel where she was a cook. Her baked goods were very, very popular, especially her pound cake. So to supplement her income, she started a side business where she made pound cakes until the, quote, blood oozed from around her fingernails, end quote. Her pound cakes were always baked in a heart-shaped pan. So how can I not share this recipe with you? Here you go. You cream one pound of butter until soft. Gradually add one pound of sugar and 10 to 12 eggs, making sure to thoroughly incorporate one egg before adding the other. Then you stir in one pound of all-purpose flour that has been sifted before you measured it, a teaspoon of salt, a teaspoon of vanilla, and one teaspoon of almond flavoring. Mix that all together. Beat hard, it says, for 10 minutes. And unless you have Sarah's heart-shaped pan, it's best to pour the batter into a three-quart tube pan. Bake at 325 degrees for about one and a half hours. This is Mary Constantine with the Tennessee Farm Table. And here's that recipe for candied sweet potatoes. By way of Fela Rawlings Hatch, most people knew her as Fela Hatch. And this is from her recipe book, Country Cooking. That is spelled with a K in both words, and this was published in 1974. Here are your ingredients for candied sweet potatoes. Eight sweet potatoes, thinly sliced, two cups water, two cups sugar, one stick butter, one teaspoon grated orange rind, juice of one lemon, and one-fourth teaspoon ginger. Bring sugar and water to a boil 
then add your potatoes and the rest of your ingredients. And you just simmer this covered until potatoes are candied. Now that's simple and delicious. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.